The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. This morning's scripture, we're going to be in the book of John in chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, underneath the seats here in the house, we got a couple of Bibles that you can grab. And if you're grabbing one of those, we're going to be on page 896 today. Make it easy on you. Again, I mentioned we're in John chapter 14, and we're starting right at the beginning in verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know that the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. So what if? What if in a world that has multiple choice options for saying you got to figure it out for yourself, whether it's New Age philosophy, Christian philosophy, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, you're going, which one, which one's the right one? Jesus comes along and goes, let me make it simple for you. There is a way, and I'm it. He doesn't say, I can show you the way. He says, I am the way. It's the outrageously great good news of what the Bible calls the gospel. Uh, the verse will be up here on the screen that Grant just read for you. John 14, 6 says this way. Yeah? It's there. John 14, 6. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I promise. There it is. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. And then the, his, his friends, his followers, called them the early disciples, the apostles, went out, and they got in a lot of trouble because they did a lot of miracles, a lot of good stuff. Where they got into trouble was they said in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, they were called to the authorities, and they were told, shut up, quit talking about Jesus. They said this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's good, fantastic news, and yet it's also in our culture that we live and work in. The water we swim in, it's also outrageous news. Because we live in a world that says, how dare you say that you have the truth? And that, you're, that isn't my truth my truth and your truth your truth? The, the little dominant thing we have in our world today is you do you, boo. That's, that's the thing. And that's not to make fun of that. That really is everywhere you look. And this is not just... Silly little mind. This is everybody. This is highly educated people all over our culture are telling us this. The two most outrageous, offensive things about the way of Jesus, when they, when they do polls on this, the first one is the doctrine of hell. That there is a place, if you're not with God, there is eternal conscious awfulness coming for you forever and ever. And that's an awful, awful thing. The second most offensive thing that people do not like about the way of Jesus and Christianity is this idea of exclusivity. It feels arrogant. It feels like, how dare you say that 
Jesus and only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's some books that are there on your note sheet. Put our titles there. Uh, the note sheet, for those of you who are newer here, it's on the back of your program. Um, here's the books. The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Great book. Pastor of a church in New York City. In a multicultural thing where everybody, I mean, talk about everybody can believe whatever they want, had to deal with those questions. So the, the Reason for God, a guy named Mark Clark uh, called The Problem of God wrote a book that dealt with some of these same issues. And then Lee Strobel years ago wrote a book called The Case for Christ. I'm telling you right now, if you are newer to this and have questions and frustrations, I don't get this. I'm going to get out of the way if you want to take screenshots of that. Um, I, I don't get it. I want, I, want, I want to know more. I have these questions. Read the books. These guys are doing such a compelling engagement. They're not going to yell at you. They're not going to condemn you. They're going to recognize the real issues that people have with faith and with, with Christianity in particular. And then for those of you that are Christians but want to go, by, I think I believe it, but I, I, I still have some unresolved stuff in my mind about this issue or that issue. Get these books, uh, read them, and check them out. When it comes to the idea of that Jesus being the only way, this exclusive claim of Christ, there's two big reactions to it. The first one, you'll see it there in your note sheet, is atheism. Atheism says they're all wrong. All the religions are all dumb. They're all, every single one of them are wrong. The only religion that's true for atheism is atheism. It's a worldview that says they're all wrong. The, uh, there's a, a guy, a prophet uh, named John Lennon. You know the song, right? Imagine. This is the idea. And it's a very soft, kind way to say it. Imagine. Imagine, and I'm not going to all the lyrics, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No heaven or hell, whatever, and no religion too. And then here's what he's going for. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Religion is dumb, it's stupid, it's dangerous, let's get rid of it. Uh, there are more strident uh, claims of atheism in our world today, especially in the last 20 or 30 years. There's more um, militant atheism uh, their, their big thing is there is no God and we hate him. And uh, uh, Dawkins and Hitchens, guys like that, I mean, good guys. You hear these guys talk, they can make a compelling case for atheism. And they say the idea, we need to get rid of religion. Need to be, like, if they could outlaw it, condemn it, be done with it, they would. Uh, because religion, the intolerance of all that is just dangerous. Alistair McGrath is a, a philosopher, a, a teacher, even people who aren't Christians, even people who don't believe in the way of Jesus at all, look at Alistair McGrath and go, that's probably one of the top ten smartest guys on the planet right now. Even if they don't agree with his theology and philosophy, he says this, the 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history, that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. All kinds of things, millions and millions of people slaughtered, killed, died, all of it was terrible. So that's atheism. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about that today. These books will help answer some of those questions for you. If you're wondering, is there a God and is there a way at all, get those. The opposite of atheism that says they're all wrong is pluralism, which says they're all right. They're all good. Uh, the, theolo the theologian for uh, this is a, a guy named uh, Richard, also known as Ricky Bobby. 
Remember the movie, Talladega Nights? He's running around the racetrack and his, I didn't put the screenshot of that up there because you don't want to see Will Ferrell running around in boxers and briefs and stuff like that. But he's on fire. He's all freaking out. And he has this thing. He says, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Use your witchcraft to get this all off me. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. It's the idea. I'm just going for all of them. There's a guy, a comedian I heard years ago, talked about being in the war in, in Vietnam. And he was in a foxhole. And he didn't really know the guy because they're just brand new in the country. And he walks, he gets in the foxhole and he sees in the foxhole, this guy's got a Bible, the Koran, a cross, a Buddha, a Star of David, a dream catcher, and all kinds of other crazies, all this thing around there. And he goes, well, what are you doing here? What's this all about for you? He goes, look, in our position, we can't afford to make anybody mad. That's what pluralism is. Says they're all good. Let's just, let's just believe they're all good. They're all true, and they're all right. Some other guys have written about this. A guy, kind of a famous Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Bodiak, says this way. It'll be up on the screen. I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. Gandhi, good, beautiful, amazing man, years ago said it this way. My position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. Oprah Winfrey, who says, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe in Christianity. But one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. And look, before we go, oh, Oprah Winfrey, whatever. Guys, I'm just telling you, this is the water you're swimming in. This is not like all these weirdos out there that have, they don't. This is 90% of our culture uh, believes this. And the, the, big, the claim of pluralism says this, is that it's outrageous and divisive and terrible. There is no absolute truth. Which if you think about it for about 10 seconds, you're going to go, wait a minute. There is no absolute truth, except the claim that there is no absolute truth. So you can't even claim there's no absolute truth if there is no absolute truth. It contradicts itself. And, and here's the deal, guys. Even this is the, the, the water we're swimming in right now, but even a lot of us that are here today, I was talking to people last night going, yes, yeah, Steve, I, this is tricky for me to hear this idea that Jesus is the only way and the exclusive claims of Christ and, and the Bible and Christianity. Even Christians sometimes wonder and question, like, how do we get around all this? What's the answer for some of the questions? So we're going to take a look at seven Big questions today, not the only ones, but seven important questions that pluralism is going to force us to wrestle with. The first one is this. Come on, Steve. Come on, Jason. Come on, Mark. Come on. They found out you're a Christian. Come on. Aren't they all pretty much the same? That's the, that's the idea of pluralism. Is, and pluralism, in some ways, there's a lot of good things about it. It's positive and powerful because there's a sense of acceptance and celebration of different cultures, different peoples, different races, different, different, be all that. The mistake we make is when we mistake cultural pluralism with spiritual or what we call metaphysical pluralism. The idea that uh, all religions are equal, they all teach the same thing. It's the popular view, but it's naive and, and ill-informed when you actually start looking around going, okay, so seriously, all religions the same. For, for 
hundreds, maybe thousands of years, all kinds of religions in history. You can study this. This is documented some in the Bible in places, and it's all over the place in history that says this. All kinds of religions would take children, take babies, while they're alive, dismember them, and throw them into the fire to sacrifice to their gods. So that's equal, and that's good, huh? We're going to say that's okay. Jim, some of you remember the whole Jim Jones thing when they went down to the place down in wherever that was down in South America and, and they had the big mass suicide down there. The idea that they could all be equal is all beliefs can't be true without fundamentally changing what they are. Now, look, some of you are going to say, okay, Steve, you're finding these weird ideas out there, these outlier, these crazy, bizarre ones to say that they're not all equal. What about like the five, four, five, six main ones? Because the four, five, six main ones, um, Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, and there's probably a couple others out there are like the you know, five or six main ones. Uh, the truth is, when you study them, if you go to world religions classes, all those religions, ours included, on the surface have an incredible amount of agreement on, on a lot of things. Almost all of them are going to say we should have peace on earth, we should work to help the poor. We should. So there's going to be a lot of agreement on the surface. The tricky part is when you get down off of the surface, down into the core, the foundation from which those beliefs spring. And when you get there, it's we differ on the foundational, on the roots of what we're all about. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, the one I just put up there, uh, writes about this in his book. And the classic little line is, they, they had this conference in New York City, big, huge conference thing, and they brought, um, he, he was a pastor, a Christian pastor, uh, a Jewish rabbi, and a Muslim, an imam, there to have a discussion about religion and philosophy. The classic line is, a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam walked into a bar. But they sat there, and they, they had lots of people there, older people, younger people, students from the university, stuff like that. Conversation was courteous, intelligent, and respectful in tone. There was a lot of agreement, but each speaker that was there affirmed that there were significant, irreconcilable differences between the major faiths. And the major point they kept discussing was who Jesus is. The case in point was Jesus. Here's the, the statement that came out of it, that they actually published this. It'll be up here on the screen. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or a prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. The bottom line was this. We couldn't all be equally right about the nature of God. Several of the students, the people that were disturbed by this, to insist that one faith has a better grasp of truth than the others was intolerant. And intolerance is the major sin of our culture and our day today, to be intolerant, to say that some things are right and some things are wrong. And they, there's rants and raves afterwards on the, on the blogs and the, on the social media posts that if these religious leaders are going to keep claiming this, we're never going to have peace on earth. Because what happens with this is people are repelled by it. And what happens is repulsion leads to rejection. I don't like it. Oh, I hate that. So instead of in, in examining the truth claims of these different faiths and coming to terms with all of them, it's just I reject them all, and I'm just going to believe we're all on the stairway to heaven, all making our way to God. There's a lot of people in different faiths who sincerely, beautifully, powerfully believe in and seek God. But at some point, 
you have to come to a crossroads where you come to terms not with just spirituality and find something that helps you out in this life, but you're going to come to a crossroad and Jesus is going to meet you at that crossroad. And sometimes it doesn't start with Jesus. Our, the, the way of Jesus all starts, Jesus is born, he's laying there in the manger or where in the house, and the wise men, the magi, show up there. The, these magi are people that are astrologers, not astronomers. Astronomers are people that study the science and stars. Astrologers are people that worship the stars and worship the supernatural demonic kind of entities that are behind all that, and they're looking in the stars seeking God, and God meets them in their false pagan religion, sends them a star, <laughs> and it says, and they were worshiping the star until they got to the manger and saw the sun. And once they saw the sun, it says they bowed and they worshiped Jesus there. Over in the book of Acts, find this in your Bible. Flip over to the right in your Bibles, if wherever you're at. Find the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Tells the story here of Paul, who's uh, one of the leading guys that's going out there to all these places that have, there's no Christianity there at all. There's once in a while Judaism there in little pockets in these cities. But he comes to Athens. And he shows up in Athens. And he looks around and he goes, man, I look around here. And he starts off this thing in Acts 17 in verse 16, we're not going to read the whole thing, where he says, look, I look around and see, look, I see temples, I see shrines. You guys are very spiritual, very religious people. You're all seeking, you're looking for God. And he says, and God has shown up here. He says he wants, he's shown himself who he really is by showing signs in nature, by showing signs in miracles. His purpose was he wanted people to seek him, but instead of seeking him, they went out there and sought and worshiped the things that God created, not the creator himself. Look at verse 30. As he sums up here, he says this, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And mark this up in your Bibles. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. We're going to get to the resurrection here in a bit. Just look. There is a way. You guys have all been looking around in different pathways and all that kind of stuff to find it. And some of you have probably seen the little diagram of like God, like the, the, the mountain, and God's at the top. And all, all the pathways are just switchbacks and trails, and everybody's on their different path. But they all eventually get to God. I made a new one. You don't like my art? <laughs> you, you can see in here all the different pathways trying to get to God, and they crisscross, and they sometimes intersect with each other and all that. At some point, every single religion, every single spirituality has to get to the place where they meet Jesus. And once you meet Jesus, you're going to go, we're going to keep going with Jesus and get to God, or we're going to reject him and wander around and never find him. So they're not, they're not all equal. They are, they're, there's one way. They're not all the same. There's one way, Jesus says, to get there. And at some point, we have to come to terms with that for ourselves. That's the first big question of pluralism. Aren't they all the same? No, they're not all the same. And even people who are proponents of those religions will go, yeah, there's big differences between us. The second question is this, though. Come on, these are good people. They sincerely believe and follow. They're not hurting anybody. Isn't sincerity enough? Isn't like, oh, could they really believe this? And if they really believe this, 
come on, just leave them alone. You don't have to tell them that they're wrong or that we're right. Um, the tricky part with that is in philosophy, they call this the law of non-contradiction. For those of you who like the big words and all that stuff, basically the law of non-contradiction says this, two opposing ideas can't both be true. They can't be. Um, and guys, we know this in every other, we, we try this with privilege, that these opposing ideas, they're all true because we just sincerely believe them. We don't, we don't behave that anywhere else in our world when it comes to things like when my car runs out of gas and I'd just gone to Costco and I have two cases of Red Bull in my trunk and I think Red Bull helps me, gives me energy and strength, I'll put Red Bull in the gas tank. Well, no, I'm sincere. You're judging me? You're saying I'm wrong about that? Medicine. You get cancer, a cold, COVID, some kind of thing there. You go, you know what would, what I feel firmly convinced in my heart would help me? Nutella. Because it tastes good and I get a little bit of a ooh when I do that there. They can't all be true. We, you, can be, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong about things. I guess think about in your own life the things that you used to believe fervently about money or marriage or whatever. I went, you know, I was a moron. I, that was just dumb and wrong. I just didn't get it at that point. It, just because I believed it sincerely doesn't mean it was right. The, the third question, the third question is this. Can't we all just get along? And Halloween's coming up, and then we have, what's our next two big holidays? Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? And at Christmas time and Thanksgiving, everybody comes together around meals, around trees, around just having fun. It's just beautiful. It's fun, exciting, all that kind of thing. And what you don't want is to have the difficult question come up where they find out you go to church, they see your manger scene there, they see a cross, they see your Bible, and they ask you about some things, and you're not trying to beat them over the head with it, but all of a sudden you're going to go... So I don't believe that. What, what about me? You're saying I'm wrong and you're going to go. I just want to pretend that we're all right. I just want to pretend. And I mean, honest, people do this. You, you have done this kind of thing, just trying to keep the peace in your home. Pretend everybody's right and that we're both right, even though it's absolutely impossible. Uh, and we construct a worldview that says... What I prefer is, is what I feel best about. And as long as we have peace here, let's just leave people alone. And there's nothing wrong with peace. There's nothing wrong with having a sense of, hmm, we should be careful about just bludgeoning people with Christianity. But here's the danger zone with that. The danger zone is this, is we choose comfort over truth. And when you choose comfort over truth, you will dodge tough questions, it's naive, it's lazy, and if there is only one way to God, we do not hate people enough to tell them, just believe what you want. We're going to love people enough to say, no, you've got to get on the right way. It isn't just believe what you want and do what you want. And we can agree on a lot about Jesus. We just start with points where we agree with people. But people aren't your friends, and some of you here know that it started off with just, Jesus helped by my marriage, and so I was kind of a fan. I wasn't really a follower. It didn't really believe in all the exclusivity stuff. Um, Jesus is the way. And so when we talk about that, we need to be civil about this. There's, I know some of you out here, 
When Jesus calls us to shine the light, to be the light of the world, he is not telling us to take a flamethrower to people and <laughs> shine the light or beat them over the head with a flashlight. I'm shining the light of God. It's to win them over, not to wipe them out. It's not, look at me, it's not to win an argument even. It's to win them over. And you never even bludgeoned into anything that you just wanted to do. Um, so we, need, we need civility as we do this. But uh, Richard Mao talks about it this way. He's a famous author. I found this quote. He says this, Christian civility does not commit us to a relativistic perspective. Civility doesn't require us to approve of what other people believe and do. It is one thing to insist that other people have the right to express their basic convictions. It's another thing to say that they are right in doing so, that their particular convictions and beliefs are necessarily always right. So those are the first three big questions. They're not all the same. Sincerity and peace is not enough. So we've got you to the point saying, okay, so truth matters. And there is the truth, and we need to really get to the, the truth. But the fourth question here is, okay, so when it comes to our, for, for the way of Jesus in Christianity, the fourth big question here, the fundamental question is, so how do I know that this is the truth? How do I know somebody else doesn't have it? Maybe it just, I've been misled and I, I don't know, whatever. And there's two different kinds of truth that we're going to look at today, and they're both valid and powerful and beautiful. There's objective truth and subjective truth. You can write those down if you want. They'll be up on the screen. Subjective truth. The anthem for subjective truth is this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus just changed my life. That I was blind, but now I see comes from a story in John chapter 9 with a guy who's born blind and Jesus heals him. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. He doesn't have any theology. He's not even probably a Christian yet, necessarily. He just, Jesus touches life, and they're going, well, who is this guy? Do you believe he's from God? Do you believe he's a prophet? He goes, look, I don't know anything about this guy. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. He changed my life. And sometimes, too, I've, we did some quick surveys on this with people this week in various places, and sometimes people are terrified of, of their life, even terrified of the afterlife, going, okay, if Jesus, if I get the get-out-of-hell-free card, no, and I need that. I need, I need some peace and reassurance in my soul. Um, sometimes, too, um, we saw, some of us, I know some of your stories out here. You saw, you weren't a Christian yet. You were maybe kind of vaguely spiritual. And then you met some Christians, and you met the good ones, not the weird ones. And there was something about them that you just went, what is that? What, what is that? I want that. And so you saw somebody, their, their experience was so beautiful and powerful for you. You just go, I don't know what that is. I just want that. So subjective truth is powerful and beautiful and compelling. There's also objective truth. Objective truth is things like uh, in the book of Romans, they, God says, look, I've given objective evidence that there is a God by just studying science and nature. You don't even have to open the Bible to know there's a God. To know that there's no way this stuff just happens accidentally. Nothing plus no one equals everything. It takes greater faith than to believe there's a God out there. So there's natural revelation, and there's things that God has done in the world, uh, supernatural evidence where God, like, miracles happen, they're documented and seen. But the fundamental thing that's the game changer for us that validates everything for this claim that Jesus is God comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So turn there. If you're in Acts right now, it's go to Acts and Romans 
And then a few more pages to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing a letter to, uh, these are brand new Christians in this these churches that have been established in Corinth that he got, he got set up. And what's happening there is because, again, Corinth was like a, like a hub of Roman Greek culture, a lot of pluralism there. A lot of, you believe what you want to believe. Do you do you? You just do whatever you want to do. Just be sincere and don't make a lot of trouble out there. And so what was happening here in this church here, these Christians were going, well, okay, does it really matter? Does it really matter, honestly, what we believe, as long as we're just good people? Paul addresses this. Verse 12, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And here it is. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And here's a verse you got a bold highlight, stars, hashtag around it. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The fundamental thing that tells us that Jesus is the way is that Jesus showed up here as a human being, fully God, fully man. He told people, I'm fully God and fully man. He says this, there's coming a time where they're going to take me out. They're going to whip me, torture me. They're going to hang me on a cross and kill me. And you're going to think it's all over. Three days later, I'm going to come out of that tomb, resurrected to new life. And any nut job could claim that he actually did it, and he was seen by eyewitnesses. So for us, the fundamental thing that you, that you can't escape from, and this is for me, is like if they could prove, if somebody could somehow prove that they found the corpse of Jesus in a tomb and they could validate somehow that it was him and they absolutely could prove it, the church would shut down tomorrow. We would stop doing this. The objective truth of the resurrection is what tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because nobody else ever claimed to do that. They all claimed to have truth and showed the truth. Jesus claimed, I'm the truth. I'm going to prove it by what I do, by rising from the dead. And we need, we need both objective truth and subjective truth. Some of you that are more thinkers and just more logical and you love spreadsheets and just evidence and science, and uh, you love the objective truth. The resurrection is true and that's it. But objectivity without subjectivity means you have all the facts and all the religion and you can get up here and preach and yell at people and you can be convinced in your mind but there's no life and soul to your faith. And Jesus, who died, rose again, says, the greatest thing you do is not believe in me. The greatest thing you do is love me. Love me and treasure me. A real relationship with God, not just, just the facts. Now, subjectivity, he changed my life, and I just believe in him. It's powerful and beautiful. And though some of you are, are more how you're wired by your personality and your experience, it's like, it's just changed my life. It's just beautiful and amazing. All the facts don't matter all here. Here's what you've got to be careful of, because you'll do that. And then someone else will come along who has a more interesting story about, ooh, this is more exciting, more interesting. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, hey, look, be careful that you're not blown every which way by every wind of teaching. 
You've got to ground it in truth. We need subjectivity grounded in the truth of the resurrection. We need the truth of the resurrection grounded in a real relationship with God. Both of these are crazy, crazy important. And this is tricky because we live in a world that says your truth is your truth. And the easy position in our world is to say it's all good. We embrace and endorse everyone to their destruction. Jesus loves us enough to say no. Not all the paths lead to God. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how beautiful and amazing you are. Not all the paths lead to God. And Jesus loves us enough to say there is a way. Come over here. Come over here. It's an invitation, first of all. For years, when I would hear John 14, 6 preached on, it was used kind of like a, Jesus is the way, the truth of life, and you're all going to hell. We're kind of happy about that because you don't believe in Jesus. It's an invitation to say, there's a way, come on over here. Uh, and here's what I love about this. Uh, this came up in our message prep time on Tuesdays. We meet with people at 1230 here. Um, if you ever want to come over that and just help us brainstorm and just do stuff on what we're going to talk about here, Tuesdays at 1230, we'll have you sit in the room with us and do that. But somebody there said, I'm not sure it was Pastor Beth or Pastor Justin or somebody else, had this great line, and it says this, he's exclusive and no one's excluded. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. I can read it for you. You can turn there if you want. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says it this way. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think, as this people thinks. Because I go, would you get on with a God at times? <laughs> he goes, no, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone in on this. It's not this Christian, it's not some exclusive club over here. He wants everyone to get on this. But he also gives a warning. He's going to say, look, um, what's, is it ACDC, the highway to hell? Was that ACDC? Yeah. Highway to hell, the prophets, highway to hell. Highway to hell. Um, he talks about that. Jesus actually, um, before ACDC wrote the song, talked about the highway to hell. You don't believe me? I'm going to show it to you. Matthew 7. Matthew 7 says it this way. Matthew 7, verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. It's a warning to say, look, it's much, much easier to just go along to go, I just want to live my life and forget about God, or even to think, hey, as long as we're sincere and just get along and have peace, let's just all be on this highway to hell. And Jesus loves us and we say no. Now the fifth question is, now we get down into moving beyond just thoughts and theology and philosophy, is number five is, what about all these great nice people I know who aren't Christians? What are you telling me about them, Steve? And I'm going to tell you today, if you're newer at this, at newer Christianity, you're going to find a lot of non-Christians who are better Christians than, some most, than a lot of Christians. And the reason for that is this. Christians should expect to find non-believers who are much nicer, kinder, wiser, and better than they are. Why? Because Christian believers are not accepted by God because of their moral performance, their wisdom, or their virtue, but because of Christ's work on their behalf. Write this down if you want. Being good doesn't get you in. I'm going to tell you right now, 
whatever hell is, there's a lot of discussion on what that is and all that, there's going to be a lot of very nice people in hell. Because until you come to terms with who Jesus is, Jesus says, I'm the way. It's not about being nice. You don't get in on your, you don't get on on your resume. You get on, on the, the birth certificate. You've been born again into God's family because in faith you said, yes, I believe in Jesus. What he did for me on that cross 2,000 years ago counts for me today. The, the sixth question is this. Isn't Christ just a crutch? This is the idea for people that are educated and wise and smart and successful. They go, can you Christians believe this weird stuff and you're just all, man, eh, about Jesus? It's just, it's for weak-minded people who just need something to lean on. And my answer to that is, first of all, if you've got a broken leg, a crutch ain't a bad idea. Some of you are broken. You might need that crutch. But I'm telling you right now, the idea that Jesus is just easier for all you weak people. He's just kind of this little easy thing you need just to help get you more excited, get you feeling good about your life. I'm telling you right now, Jesus ain't easy. Anybody who says Jesus is easy hadn't read the book yet. Jesus is going to come along and say, give up your whole life and die to me. Religion says, just make me number one in your life and then just live your own life over here. Jesus says, I'm the way everything revolves around me. And then it gets down into specific things here. Now let's talk about the big things that people, sex and money. When it comes to money, the way of Jesus is crazy hard because the world you live in says, you make the money, use it for yourself, climb the ladder, get all the money you can, save all you can, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus comes along and goes, you know what? Your money ain't your money. It's all mine. All the money. Every bit of it belongs to me. Now he says, look, I give it to you to bless you and use you and celebrate and have fun with it. But he says, it's all mine. The uh, sexuality in a world right now that's losing our minds when it comes to sexuality, Jesus says, hey, uh, the sexual relationship is between a man and a woman in marriage forever. Um, guys, we live in a world right now where that's just silly for everybody, not just our kids, but for everybody. Uh, we have um, high school students right now. I've talked to some of them personally about this. I did youth ministry for a lot of years. I know Christian kids who just said it was just so difficult because everybody on their team, everybody in their club, everybody in their thing, you, you, if, if you were being sexually pure, you were a joke. And a lot of them said, I just want to have sex just to get it over so I'm not the only one. Being a Christian as a student, living for Christ here is going to be way more challenging than just kind of do what you want and just fit in. Forgiving, <laughs> forgiveness. Forgiveness is only forgiveness when it's something terrible. If forgiveness is just like a minor thing, that's not only really forgiveness. You're just being a decent human being. Forgiving, Jesus says, forgive people. That's again, what does that mean, Jesus, to wrestle around with that? I'm not sure what that means because some of you got to have boundaries and all that. It's, but Jesus' way is so crazy challenging, difficult. Marriage. Jesus says, hey, marriage, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Now, look, I know today we have people in here by, just by the stats. We just know this by stats to know that a lot of marriages in America today, even in Christian churches, end in divorce for all kinds of reasons. And there's some good reasons, biblical reasons, for divorce. Abandonment, abuse, adultery, those kind of things. The Bible gives grounds for that. But Jesus comes along and says, to our culture, where half of marriages is ending divorce, and most of them are not over adultery or abuse or abandonment, most of them are over this reason right here, two words, irreconcilable differences. 
And Jesus goes, sorry, you don't get that one. Now, look, if that was you, there's grace and forgiveness for you. And God says, look, there's always, a, this is not condemnation and shame. What I'm trying to illustrate here for you today is that Jesus says, do it my way. And my way is not always going to be the easiest thing. And I'm going to tell you right now today, every marriage, the good ones that are here today, the great ones that are here today, and the average ones here today, you know what's true about all of them? They all have irreconcilable differences. And if you're brand new married and you're going, oh, not you, babe. It's just you haven't been married long enough yet. <laughs> so Jesus tells us, hey, I'm not a crutch. It's difficult road I'm calling you to follow. He says, it's a narrow, difficult thing. But he's going to tell us, here, it's beautiful and amazing. And he says, get off that, get off that, that highway to hell and get on the stairway to heaven. And he says, here's, there's, there's wide off ramps. There's wide off ramps off of the highway to hell, and there's big wide on-ramps to get on that, the road to life. Jesus says, come on and, and, and do this. And we believe in Jesus, not just because of the objective truth, and not just because when I believed in Jesus, everything got better for me. I'm telling you, we're going to do, you follow Jesus for long enough, you're going to discover sometimes his way is more difficult and it's harder, but it's way honking better. And I had other words I wanted to use there, but they don't let me use those words at church. It's just way better when you follow his way, even though it can be challenging and difficult. And then the last question here is, what about good people? What about people who've never heard? People who've never heard about Jesus. And there's lots of discussion and philosophy on that. So they've never heard about Jesus. What happens when they get there? You're telling me, Steve, they don't know about Jesus. They're not in. They don't get to go to heaven. And I get a tricky question. We're not gonna, we don't have time today to do all that. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument today that people who have never heard about Jesus, let's just say for the sake of argument, I'm not saying what the Bible teaches, for the sake of argument today, that you, if you get to the pearly gates, you get to, to God, and you stand there, and God goes, uh, why should I let you in? And because you never heard about Jesus, that he might say, okay, well, if you never heard about me, if you believe in me now, I'll let you in. That might be the case. I don't think that's the case at all. Let's just say that's the case for people who've never heard about Jesus. That will not be the case for you. You've heard about Jesus. And at some point, you can't duck and dodge around that thing. Well, what about people over around the world somewhere who live in some remote village out there? Well, if I, whatever. At some point, you've got to come to terms with the fact that I've heard about Jesus. What do I do about that? All these options out here. Jesus just, Justin said it this way. Uh, Pastor Justin here talked about it this way this week. He said this. It can be kind of confusing, all these religions. And Jesus comes along and just simplifies it all and goes, hey, all these ways out there clamoring for your attention, always trying to get you to, to buy into their thing or buy into their belief or your live your life. And Jesus comes along and goes, no, no, it's simple. It's easy. Here I am. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life for you. Come follow me. Come believe in me. And in a world that right now is looking for hope, Sometimes hope in destructive things that are wrecking people's lives, but in a world that's looking for hope oftentimes in good things like family and marriage and kids, in, in looking for hope in, in money and success, looking for hope in education, looking for hope in, in all kinds of ways, Jesus comes along and says, all those things will never be able to give you the hope you're looking for. We're going to sing a song today because it says this, hope has a name, his name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Our band's going to come up right now. We're going to sing our guts out today. We're going to sing some songs today. 
And as we sing today, look at me for a second. Those of you that go, well, you know, I just like to believe the stuff and I don't know the Bible. Be here with us today. Sing. And if you don't like to sing or if you sing badly, just sing loudly. We don't care. <laughs> Jesus said make a joyful noise. He didn't say make a beautiful noise. Make a joyful noise. So we're going to sing. Objective truth of the resurrection and that Jesus is true and that, that he's real and he's beautiful and powerful for me. We're going to give you a chance to come and receive prayer today. You may have come in today with some difficult stuff going on in your life. And you just need some prayer right now for something. The beautiful way of Jesus is that 2,000 years ago, how it worked was you didn't go pray to God. Somebody else prayed for you. You went to a priest. And once a year, the only way the priest had access to God was to slaughter an animal, take the blood, and sprinkle it all over what's called the Ark of the Covenant. And that made the way to access to God. And today, because of what Jesus did, he says that veil was torn in two, and you can come directly to him today in prayer, talking to him about what's going on in your life. So find your way back there to the back at some point. They're right there in the back corner of the room. And then communion. Communion is a, it's a symbol of Jesus' body and blood. The bread represents his body. The, the juice represents his blood. And you come and receive communion today for two reasons. The objective truth that this happened in place and time in history, and because I believe that, I'm in. But you also believe it because you've received it. You've tasted it. You've seen it. And you've experienced the life that God has given you. And so Jesus today, hope has a name. His name is Jesus, God. And my prayer today is for people who are not yet Christians. They would take that step of faith and step over that line and embrace you as the one and only way, the one and only truth in their life. And then God, for a lot of us here, we just need a reminder. We need the fire stoked again. So just God, whatever we do here now in the next few minutes, just stoke that fire again in our heart and soul. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.